Creative Recovery is a community of artists, healers, activists, entrepreneurs, and anyone seeking to nourish a creative relationship to life. In this podcast, we explore creativity as an agent of healing and social change. I'm your host, Brenna, a writer, editor, and coach. Join me as I step into conversation with people of diverse backgrounds and identities committed to creative living. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or uninspired? Creative Recovery offers tools and practices to help you cultivate your authentic voice and support your mind, body, and spirit in service of creative aspirations. Whether you want to write a book, start a business, or cultivate more curiosity and compassion, the process of creative recovery will help anyone tap into their inner resources and live a life of presence and joy. Welcome to Creative Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Brenna, and I'm really excited today to be in conversation with Christian Collier. Christian is a Black Southern writer, arts organizer, and teaching artist who resides in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His works have appeared or are forthcoming in Hayden's Ferry Review, the Michigan Quarterly Review, Atlanta Review, Grist Journal, and elsewhere. A 2015 Loft Spoken Word Immersion Fellow, he's also the winner of the 2020 Proforma Contest and the 2019 to 2020 Seven Hills Review Poetry Contest. More about him and his work can be found at his website, ChristianCollier.com. So welcome, Christian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how about if we just start by having you tell us about yourself and your creative pursuits and how your life journey has led you to do the work you do in the world? Sure. I am a lifelong artist and arts appreciator. For a long time, uh, I wanted to do comics professionally, and I was I was sure that I would go to college to pursue visual arts. But when I entered my freshman year of high school, that changed, and and writing became my primary aspiration. Music and writing have have both been my main pursuits the the past twelve or more years. But I've had a growing interest in media for a while now, and. I actually made a docu-series a few years ago, and I've been increasingly interested in, in how to do more to use all of my interests and skill sets in one place. But I think I've been raised to do the work that I'm doing, you know, like, uh, not just by my parents, but even though I grew up in an, a very arts-friendly home, but the thing about having artists and in, in artworks that inspire you is that they, they also tend to, to grow you up in different ways and, and influence you. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. I always, I always say that the, the really cool thing about being inspired specifically by, by being inspired by people who've passed on, because I, I tend to speak a lot to, uh, the dead in, in my work. But the, the thing about being inspired by people who are no longer physically here is that you'll never surpass them. You know what I mean? Like, so it always kind of keeps you searching. It always kind of keeps you hungry and in the workshop. And I think that also, and, and, and I don't mean that in like a, a competitive way. I mean, the older I get, the more I see it as just kind of continuing uh, a conversation. You know, I, I look at my work as being in conversation with those people. And I think that that's a really interesting thing because, you know, all of us carry different ghosts with us and, and each of us is a ghost to somebody and somebody else, right? Like the, the person that you, you wished you had kissed in, in seventh grade is a ghost, you know, but each of those things influences you in different way. They influence the way that you think your actions. And if you're an artist, the, the works that you do. And so all of those things have kind of given me different permissions. Try this. If, if this thing over here you know, fascinated you or scares you, maybe that's something worth interrogating and, and possibly implementing in your own work, you know, things like that. So all of those things have, have kind of given me different lights along the path and have largely, uh, influenced the life that I've been fortunate to live. That's really, I, I love what you said that you can't surpass them. The conversation continues, like it's not finished. It's, it's always in progress. Is that what you meant by you can't surpass them or? Well, I, I think it means a number of things. Like, I think you're always, cause I think that sometimes you can, you can see like, well, this person did this, but 
I feel like I've kind of expanded upon that. And, you know, depending on, because everybody comes to the table differently. And, and if you're somebody who kind of sees, you know, yourself in, in kind of a competitive light or, or you compare yourself to the works of other people, you can definitely see it like that, you know? But I think that those, those people are, at least for me, I can only speak for me, but, you know, the, the people that I always turn to who aren't here, you know, those people are kind of forever etched on the, the Mount Rushmore of my life. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that nothing I do in terms of just, you know, my own work, I can never imagine myself doing something that's going to surpass what those people did because they've not only, aside from the work that they've done, the, the colossal amount of, of sacrifice and everything that, that went into their work. And it's just really hard to like, you'll, what can I liken it to? I think that if, if you had really amazing parents or, or parents who've, who've achieved, you know, just an astronomical amount of their lives, you can never really imagine yourself surpassing, them. you know, like they are forever the torchbearers for you in your life. And I think that that's a, a really fantastic thing because, you know, inherent in that is a certain challenge to kind of continue the, the, the example that they've said and, and to also leave your own individual light upon the world that you can. And, and I guess that's what it means. I mean, being able to surpass and all of that is, is it, it means different things and it, it really matters, uh, it really is a matter of, of who's on the other side of that conversation. But, but for me, I, you know, if, if I were a jazz musician, I would, I can't imagine myself being like, you know what, Charles Mingus, I got you on this one. You know what I mean? Like, all right, Thelonious, sit down. I got it from here. I, so I, I really look at my ancestors as just being the, uh, the, the torchbearers and, and if, if I could just be in conversation with them, that is enough for me. Yeah, I love that. What does creativity mean to you and what does it bring to your life? And, and you can talk about this generally or, or sort of in line with being in conversation with your ancestors, which that, that was very present for me when I was reading your work. Sure. Creativity to me, and I, I guess we'll just start simply. Creativity to me is, is just you know, someone expressing themselves and uh, creativity has in a way really brought me alive. It has given me a skill set and a knowledge base. It has brought opportunities that have better and enriched my life and the lives of my family. It's, it's given me friends. It's given me mentors, acquaintances, and more creativity really has also allowed me to see what else I have the capacity to do. And, um, it's allowed me to create opportunities for, for people where I live, uh, to experience kind of the same thing. Oh, tell me about that. Sure. Absolutely. So can, can I tell you like a little story? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to be conducive with the, the time, but, um, so in 2015, uh, I was in Boston and I just won a, a pretty big poultry slam up there. And, uh, I'm in, I'm in an Uber on the way back to my hotel and I kind of had an epiphany. You know, like I just started taking all of this inventory of, of my life and it just kind of dawned on me, like if I, knowing what I, I know now and, and having done the things that I have, if I were 15 years old again, what would I want to see, uh, and have access to? And so immediately after that, I started doing original programming. Um, I started doing a, a poetry workshop for teenagers and that's kind of laid the foundation for everything that that's, that's come since. And so a couple of years ago, I started, a, an artist initiative called the poetry, the blood poetry project. And, you know, that, that has changed shape a couple of times too, because the world changed a couple of years ago. But one part of that was a reading series where I would bring a notable writer, uh, to the city to workshop with the community for free and to do a featured reading and I would have a local poet to open. Uh, I wanted them to have the chance to kind of grab FaceTime with, with somebody who's, who's walking it, talking it and, and learn some things outside of that. There's a docu-series that I did a six part, uh, docu-series to feature local poets. I wanted to, to give them more exposure and, and kind of bring the world into what they're doing. And it's also become a hub of, uh, support and, and opportunities. I wish you publishing and, and 
workshopping opportunities out there so that people can, even in the midst of the, the pandemic, you know, get a little bit deeper in terms of craft. But also I, I wanted to create a, a hub where if, if somebody gets rejected from, from this place, we can, we can big them up. If, if they got an acceptance here, we can celebrate with them. And I think that those things are so valuable because, you know, specifically speaking about writers and, and, and poets, a lot of what we do tends to be so insular, mm-hmm. you know, it, so I think that is, it's really valuable pandemic or not, uh, just to have a, a community that can kind of walk with you and, and, you know, maybe soften, soften the blows a little bit and yes. kind of, you know, help you find your way through the dark a little bit. Yeah. I think that's really, it's so important, especially for writers, because as you said, writing does tend to be can be very insular, can be very solitary. And yeah, I'm curious if you can talk about, like, I love what you're doing in the world. And I think that it's so important to have a space that's a safe space for authentic expression. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like what you've created is that. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you understand what is authentic expression and kind of what are some of the things that might hinder it? What are some of the things that support it? Okay, sure. I would describe authentic expression as uh, basically just having the, the ability to effectively and, and accurately communicate what you're, what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And uh, I think a number of things really hinder both. I think if, if, if someone's from a, a family or an environment where the ability to kind of openly discuss their thoughts and feelings, the things that they're experiencing, and if they're from a background where that that ability is 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 kind of stifled, uh, the ability to to express themselves is is kind of blocked. That's definitely a, a partition. I think that the the older that someone gets, uh, time uh, tends to be a a big factor and, and can be a huge hindrance. Financial standing has a very pronounced ability to hinder creativity in, in particular. Uh, it's it's really hard to, to kind of get into workshop uh, when, you know, bills have to be paid and, and the lights are in jeopardy of being shut off. So I, I think like we're just really real world things often tend to provide the, the largest obstacles. And I think that we're, we're at a point in time now where it, it, it's a little bit easier to kind of, if, if you are, you do find yourself in a place where you, you can't just, you know, openly dialogue about the things that you're experiencing or, or you're thinking, you pretty easy, if, if you know where to look, uh, can find resources to kind of help make that possible. And uh, that's a much different, it's a much different thing than when I was, you know, 17, 18, you know, 20 or so years ago. So I think that, you know, the advent of, of kind of where technology is and, and I guess online support has, has really, you know, ushered us into a new age in, in terms of that. So I think that that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I totally agree with that. And like when you were growing up, did kind of what you said earlier that the community that you've been creating came from this, uh, remembering your own experience of not having that. Is that correct? Like you're, you kind of, we're like, what, what did I have when I was, what did I not have when I was 15? And it was this kind of community. So I'm wondering if sort of, if you could talk a little bit about your personal experience, you know, not having that sort of community and sort of how you are not having access to these resources and, and how, you know, how you, like your writing kind of served you and served as a vehicle for expressing your truth in spite of not having these resources and, and this kind of like supportive writing community that you've created for others. And I, I, I don't want it to sound like I, I didn't have a, a writing community cause I, I did. Uh, but you know, uh, time and, and era plays such a large role in, in one's development. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I remember when I was a, a junior and, and senior in high school, I had to to get the newspaper and, and open it up to find like poetry things to go. Yeah. To. So I guess it's more of one of those things. It's just like it's it's conducive upon back then. It was very much conducive upon scouring to find the information and then, you know, making your way out there and still hoping that the thing was going on. 
Whereas now, you know, you can, with the, the advent of your phone, you know, you can pop that thing open and you can access uh, YouTube and look at button poetry uh, archives, or you could, you know, yeah. go to an IG live and everything. So technology has made the world a lot more accessible in terms of finding a, a writing community. But I just think that, you know, this could be one of those things of, of just, just personal responsibility. And part of this could be, you know, uh, as a, as a man of color or just being like in the South or, or both, but there's always this inherent uh, belief that you should give back. And, uh, that, that's very firmly ingrained in me. And I think that, you know, we in, in Chattanooga, we, we have a number of people who write, we have a number of people who write successfully, but. I think that I've been so fortunate to have, have done well in terms of, you know, what, what's called spoken word. I've also been stunningly blessed to do well in terms of, uh, you know, more, just more page oriented work. And so I feel like I have a, a fairly unique perspective in terms of how to navigate both realms and, and, you know, how to instill that in somebody else. So mainly, you know, that's kind of the way that I see it. But in terms of, of writing being a vehicle to express my truth, writing has been so key in, in my personal expression and journaling, uh, journaling regularly has been pivotal in allowing me to kind of take mental and emotional inventory and really process all the things that, that I was experiencing at any given time. For instance, like I was, I was in an abusive relationship with someone I, I used to work with. And after that abruptly came to an end, when they met and married somebody within four days of knowing them, I, needless to say, I, I felt a lot of things. I, st I still had to see that person on a daily basis. And I've always prided myself on keeping my emotions close to the vest. So my journal became a necessity and, and it really allowed me to work through like all of the things that I was feeling, but also to imagine what being on the other side of those emotions would look and feel like. And I feel like that was huge. But aside from that, writing has really allowed me to communicate with and about the worlds that, that I exist in and have existed in. It's allowed me to kind of interrogate the, the people I've known, the, the places I've been. I, I mentioned that I, I talk to the dead a lot in my work. So, so death and, and life and, and everything in between. Yeah. I thank you so much for sharing about your process, you know, just kind of absorbing your, you know, what's happening in your life and, and processing it and journaling is, I mean, it's really interesting because there's so much emotional detail and so much like tangible detail, like of scene and uh, description in your work. And I can tell that there's been a deep process in, in making these poems, such as, you know, the, the journaling, the daily journaling. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your creative process, specifically with this collection, The Gleaming of the Blade, and even how journaling may have played into that. Sure. The manuscript went through many changes over the years, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of kind of taking things apart and, and putting them back together. And it... it it really kind of took me a, a few swings at it before I felt like I, I really kind of got to the heart of, of the, the poems that are in it and the collection as a whole. So in, in 2019, though, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Donna Sprout Metz, uh, she told me about a workshop that she'd taken with the poet Patricia Smith. And she said that Patricia lists rules whenever she sits down to write. Like she, she makes rules for herself. Hmm. And uh, I knew that I was I was going to take the manuscript apart and, and revise it from the top to the bottom again. And I thought that it would be really interesting to, to assign a set of rules to, to follow in doing so. And uh, some of them, off the top of my head, some of them are uh, like, what what's the work risky? Something should always be at risk. What what did I not expect to say? There there has to be something kind of surprising in there to work with. I wanted uh, either the city or the region. Uh, to, to play a role in to really kind of be a character. And I didn't want to come and play games. I wanted, I wanted to get to the heart of, of the work that I was, I was doing and to, to allow myself the, the possibility to be a little bit dangerous. Yeah. And uh, I think that that process really helped to kind of cement a sharper tone for the manuscript. And it also allowed me 
to make, in my opinion, a more definitive body of work. Uh, I feel like tonally it, it's, it's hitting all the points that I wanted to make. But, um, I think, you know, I, I always try to take inventory of when I'm thinking and feeling. And I, I don't journal as much as I, I used to, which I, I feel bad about. I need to try to rectify, but in hearkening back, this is one of those things where, where time, the older you get, you get time tends to, to be a little bit more of a limited commodity. But I think that, and, and this is something that I didn't realize until after I got the, the completed version of, of the book and I was looking through and I was like, and there, there's so much of my life that's in here, but I didn't really realize that there are so many people and so many real life events in it, you know, and, yeah. and. I think that, I think that that's one thing that, that, that process of just kind of always being mindful of, of who I am and who I've been and, and the places I've been and everything. I carry those things so closely to me that sometimes I don't even recognize that they're appearing. Yeah. They just come out. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, all of, all of us carry ghosts with us and, and those aren't inherently like a, a bad thing, you know, but each of us in, in all the rooms that we enter. We all bring a certain set of, of, of energy and, and memory and, and all of those things, you know, that have impacted us with us. I love those questions you ask yourself when you're writing, like, what's at risk? And I'm curious, what what came up for you when you were putting this collection together about what's what's at risk? Like, what were some of, some of the things that came up for you when you asked yourself that question? I wanted to, well, I wanted to risk a couple of things because some of the, some of the poems, I think that some of the most emotionally jarring poems kind of stop on a dime, you know, so to speak. And I wanted to kind of, I wanted that impact to be, to kind of mirror what it's like in that moment to kind of, you know, proverbially get, get hit in the chest, you know? Yeah. Like if, if and so I wanted to risk that, I wanted to risk, uh, sentimentality a little bit. I wanted to risk not always being understood. And I think that anytime that you're working with, with race, if, if you, you know, and it's interesting now because we're, we're in the age of, of critical race theory and the, the gross distortion in, in most aspects of what that is. But so the moment that you mentioned anything about race, people tend to have very strong feelings one way or the other, you know, there's a, there's a certain section of, of the population who's ears are automatically going to turn off and, and they're already done with the conversation. But I wanted to, you know, I wanted to risk kind of walking for a pronounced period of time through race and, and really what it's like in different aspects to, to be both seen and unseen and as a black person living in this, this country and in this region and, you know, underneath that in, in the city. So I thought that that was, that was an interesting lens because it's, it's also one of those things that's so emotionally charged as to the moment that you mentioned it, you know? And so I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of, you know, walk around in that, that space a little bit, but there are a number of things that, that kind of jump out at me. There are, there are certain things that just kind of surprised me in terms of what came out. I'm a big fan of starting poems in interesting ways. And I really kind of want to get, get people's attention from the beginning and, and so when I was revising some of the poems, you know, I would, I would take like the most interesting or like the hardest line in it. And then that would be the starting point. And out, out of that, you know, you, you get, you get some interesting results because it, it so distinctly changes the shape of the poem and where the poem goes and what the poem is, is saying. Could you read one, one of the poems from your collection? Absolutely. And you can, you know, choose whichever one you feel called to read. Okay. All right. How about. When the moon couldn't be found. That's so funny because that was one of the ones I, <laughs> I wanted you to read. I was hoping you were going to read. <laughs> no, well, you, you, know, you, you can request poems. <laughs> All right. So when the moon couldn't be found. When the moon couldn't be found. John Coltrane seized my ear with the sound of his horn. As my girlfriend's father followed me out of Graysville after he threatened to blow my head apart if he caught my brown hand upon her again. The fog silhouette shook its head while I barreled through its shame. It was witnessing again a black man stopped on a dark strand of Southern Road. At 3.37 in the morning, 
I was a blue locomotive, rage blue from one white town to another under a moonless sky. Coltrane was playing, and I wanted nothing but to be the rush of notes surging from the speakers, painting the shaded inside of my Dodge Intrepid. I wanted to be that free, that anointed by the sweet mouth of a dead god. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's a really powerful poem. And it I think it's a really good launching pad for my next question too, which is, you know, a lot of the poems that you that are in this collection uh, examine black masculinity in the contemporary American South, as well as ghosts of the past, as you said earlier, and how it feels to be black in a country with so many racial divisions and harsh injustices. And I would love for you to talk about how you see the relationship between art and social change and how does it play out in the work you do in a very personal way too. Sure. I think, well, I think in, invariably the world will appear in an artist's work, whether they're, they're conscious of it or not. And I don't know if I necessarily believe in the term like social change, because I'm not sure that that much ever really does change. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If, if I can substitute it for social ongoings, then mm, I, I would like say, I would say that those always have a way of bleeding through. I seriously writing, started writing towards this collection in 2015. And that's when so much was going on regarding Ferguson and the, the AME church with uh, Dylan Ruth, the battle over the, the Confederate flag and it being taken down and, and et cetera. And I had actually received a grant from the Loft Literary Center that allowed me to research and write about issues dealing with race, but race and racial matters really haven't stopped being national news since, you know, there are, there are two poems in, in the collection that address, um, the pandemic in different ways. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's something that I did not consciously set out to do, but the world always has a way, you know, the, the world and the goings on in it always seem to, to present themselves and, and, you know, they, they really inform the work. I like what you said about social change being social ongoing. So I think that's really, that's very thought provoking and really interesting to wrap my mind around. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really true in a lot of ways. I mean, there's change in the ongoing, but it's like there might, I mean, this, these issues have been going on forever. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, century, like all our ancestors and it's, yeah. And it's like they, they change and cycle, but it's like on a big scale, it is, it is, it's, it's, it's ongoing and it probably will always be. I think that's really I, interesting. Well, I just think that the moment, that you have something that, that does change. If you wait five minutes, you'll experience the backlash of it. Yeah. And, and things to the kind of move a little bit back to, you know, back to where they were like after, uh, George Floyd, you know, you have like the, the biggest, you know, racial protests, you know, and the, the term with the racial reckoning is coined and that's great. And then you fast forward. And now you have, you know, critical race theory, books being banned. The, the author of the 1619 Project is, is harassed on a daily basis, you know, and all of those things directly go back to that. You know, if you don't, if you don't have the needle moving at all in, in terms of that and that outrage, I really doubt that you get to this point where this is the hot button topic for, you know, conservative people. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well put. I mean, in the context of that, what does healing mean to you? Or like, what is that process? What does that word mean to you? Is it possible, you know, given the kind of ongoingness of a lot of the injustices that, that we face? I love this question. And uh, I've been, I've been actively processing trauma for a long time, which I know you, you actually don't know this. So I, I spent nine and a half years as a, a social worker for the Head Start program, you know, working with, with low income families. So for all of that time, you're, you're really in the trenches dealing with other people's trauma, but at the same time, you're living your own life and you have your own trauma. So being outside of that system, and I think just being a little bit older, you know, I've, I've really been taking inventory and processing my own trauma. And I think that probably for, for close to 10 years now, my definition has 
been changing. I'm not sure everything that that's harmed us really is, is meant to necessarily be overcome. I think that some things, some pains, we really have to learn how to walk besides. And and that's a little bit of a different animal. But if, if I had to offer a little bit more of a succinct answer, though, I would say that healing means being able to live with and, and be open about what you've lived through. Uh, I think that being able to do that really lessens the, a lot of the sting uh, from the wounds that, that we can carry. I love what you said about walking alongside, you know, the, the traumas. It's very, I think that's healing. It's just, just being able to do that, that process. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of my own processing of my own, you know, familial trauma as well. And, you know, and personal trauma. And it really is, I mean, most of my early adult life was not at all walking alongside. It was just, you know, stuffing it down, putting it under the rug. And so it's really only been, you know, the probably the past 10 years that I've even opened myself up to the possibility of walking alongside it. And I think, I mean, that's the kind of healing component. I like the word healing, I think it's tossed around a lot in the sort of self-care world. And so I think there's a lot of misconceptions that it's like comfortable and it's, you know, it's a happy thing, which it is. I mean, it, but it's, it's, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of pain. And, and as you said, like just kind of creating the space to walk alongside it, I think is, is a really beautiful way of looking at that process um, of healing. I, I also think, I, I think it makes it more manageable. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the, uh, one of the most frustrating things for me was, you know, we tend to think in absolutes when we think about healing mm -hmm. and when those things aren't necessarily happening in, in an absolute way, you know, I think that you, it's, it's very easy for you to feel like you're failing. Yeah. And if you feel like you're failing, then that obviously is going to stifle your progress in terms of healing, you know, or, or even necessarily wanting to heal. Because if you're like, oh, if this is as good as it gets, then why bother, right? Yeah. So I think that it makes it, looking at it like that gives you permission to to be more human, I think. Mm -hmm. And and I think that it it makes the, the process a little bit more manageable. Yeah, absolutely. How How does creativity play into this process, either personally for you or just in general? How do you see the relationship between creativity and healing? I think they go hand in hand, but I think, I think they go hand in hand in ways that we don't necessarily anticipate. If, if you're hurting, often it, it means that you have to be resourceful to, to solve your problem. You know, I think that in order to heal, one really has to, has to not only be creative, but, but be open. Like in, in 2012, uh, I made the decision to go to, to therapy to help quell some of my depression. And uh, that was something that I had never considered prior to that. And initially, I kind of felt like allowing my life to get to that point where I needed therapy or not even like that the fact that I would go, but the fact that I needed to go, that to me felt like a failure. But I'm so thankful that I did it now. But for me, therapy was a creative solution, you know? And I think that being being open to, you know, trying different things to, to help you out, to different things to bring into your wheelhouse, just you being open has to, it, it's such a vital thing. But also I think that, you know, you have to be creative in the things that, that you allow in also spend time with, with people who otherwise might not have, you know, just, just bringing different things to different energy into your space, I think is, is so important also. Yeah. Thank you so much for broadening just the idea of creativity. I think that that's what I try to do with this podcast is really bring creativity into life. You know, it's not just some, it's not just making art. It's not just self, even self-expression. It's like new ways of thinking, new ways of being open, being open to possibility, curiosity, and wonder. And I love the relationship between creativity and healing. It's like that it is, that's the therapy is, is really, you know, being being open to what therapy can even do for you or what it brings up and then also yeah like creatively filling yourself with things that serve you i think that's Absolutely. pretty 
I love, it's very wise. I'm curious, sort of what challenges come up for you when you're being creative? And I mean, a lot of the work, like there's so much personal processing in, in your work. And, and so I'm curious if you can talk about either technical challenges or, you know, just kind of personal, personal healing challenges or personal trauma challenges. Sure. I think the biggest challenge for me now is, is what to say next. One of my favorite artists is, how would you describe him? Uh, he, he's a graphic designer, but he also does music. He's also a poet. So I guess like the, the true Renaissance man, but his name is Ian Kamau. And he said something a few years ago about artists that they really stuck with me. And uh, he said that, that artists are kind of like chefs. Uh, often we're, we're so accustomed to being in the kitchen cooking that we forget that sometimes you, you have to sit down and, and eat the meal too, right? Like you, you have to get nourished. So my biggest challenge, I think moving forward right now is just to, to eat the meal and, and to get allow myself really to get nourished and replenished without, you know, putting any pressure on, on just producing. However, I, I suppose like a potential challenge is, is the reception of my book. You know, the, the book comes out, uh, on the 22nd of February. And, um, this is the most public thing that I've, I've had happen in, with my writing in a number of ways. So that means new eyes, new opinions, and, you know, that's even aside from the content of the work. So all of that's exciting, but this is also uncharted territory uh, to a large degree. So I'm really trying to prepare myself for, for any and everything that, that can pop up. I'm immensely proud of the book uh, and, and the work in it. And I, I really want to preserve that, uh, that sense of, of joy and accomplishment. Yeah. Well, I just want to say congratulations. I, it is, it's a beautiful book and I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see how it, how it winds its way into the world. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and kind of just pivoting, rewinding just a little bit in, in writing this book in particular, I'm curious, like how it may or may not have served your own personal healing and growth. I think that the easiest thing to say is that the, making the work has made me never really kind of feel alone. Does that make sense? Like in, in my darkest times. I've been able to, even aside from just like the writing, I've been able to, to read works by my biggest inspirations, you know, and, and read about their darkest times and, and, and kind of feel like we're in community, which again, I guess, harkens back to, you know, being in conversation with, with those who've, who've come before you. But also my work really has brought me into community with a lot of different artists. And I have the ability now to, to dialogue and really just check in on a human level with, with people who, who really understand what I'm going through and where I'm at. And, and that's been huge. And I think had I not been working on, on this book, I'm not sure if that necessarily happens in the way that it has, you know, like, you know, I, I really can't even imagine what it would be like to have written something else or not to have written it at all. And, you know, just to work with how, how everything would have shaken out. But a lot of the, the poems in here are directly responsible for, for making that happen, or at least paving a way for that to happen. So I think that those things have really made me feel that, you know, the work is going somewhere that the work is, um, essential to other people and to, to continue to make it, you know, like, I, I, I think at this point I'm, I'm pretty much a lifer anyway. So e even if I'm just writing these things for me with no aspiration to, to send them out to the world. You know, I think I'm, I'm kind of stuck there, but the fact that other people are, are interested in, in the things that I'm, I'm making, you know, I think also inherent in that is just a responsibility to, to keep working and, and keep getting better with, with craft and, and doing more to inform the work too. Like, I don't want, I don't want to put duds out there, that, <laughs> but so, so those things keep me hungry in a good way. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, I feel like you're gonna, you know, once the book comes out and you're going and, you know, you're really going to be stepping into conversation with, with your readers that you're going to just that sense of not being alone is going to intensify, you know, in a beautiful way, I think, or at least that's what a lot of friends of mine published, you know, books and, and essays and, you know, have said that, yeah, it's just a community in large, you know, just gets bigger and and really, 
you know, your, your, what you're, what you've conveyed personally in the work is a gateway for other people to explore similar things in them, in their own lives. And I mean, it's really a gift, I think, to people's healing and growth and, and processing and examination of society, all of that. So I'm excited to see how things unfurl once it comes out. Speaking of, what is your relationship to fear? <laughs> I, I imagine there's probably some anticipation, excitement, and also fear around the work coming out. Well, I have, I have a very healthy relationship to fear. And I think that that comes with, with being an artist, you know, to a certain degree. We, we invest so much time, energy, money, and more into the mediums uh, that aren't guaranteed really to love us back. You know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's not an abundance of security in the arts. And, and that's, that's terrifying to a lot of people. There is, there's a, a lot of sacrifice. And that's scary, putting yourself out you know, putting yourself in your workout and into the world, that's a scary thing. Rejection is a, is a frightening thing. So fear is always close, but I enjoy working through it. One of my mantras is to not let the moment be bigger than you. And um, so I, I always try to keep that in mind, you know, like regardless of what you're feeling, don't let that, you know, don't let that hold so much space that you can't maneuver through it or around it. You know what I mean? And so that's something that that's been a nice affirmation to carry with me through, uh, the different places that I've found myself in. Yeah, that's great. I feel like I'm going to write that down on a sticky note <laughs> <laughs> and put that near my computer, which has a lot of, you know, kind of sticky notes and, and words of encouragement. Cause yeah, I mean, there's a lot, fear is always alongside you when you're, when you're accessing your truth and expressing yourself and delving into yeah, the world of, you know, creative expression. What are some things that diminish your creative spirit and what are some things that inspire you? Because it doesn't sound like fear really diminishes it. <laughs> In fact, fear might inspire it. <laughs> well, I, um, what diminishes? I'm not sure if anything necessarily does, aside from just, you know, the, the, the time and, and space to, you know, access different things and, and, and gather information and, and, and art and things like that and really kind of process it and then also, you know, sit down and, and, and try to make my own. That tends to be the, the biggest thing, but because I'm, I'm always so actively looking for interesting things, you know, like if you were to look at my, my YouTube history, it's, it's full of like craft talks and, and, and art talks and, and all of these different things. So all of those things keep me, keep me, you know, thinking it and processing and, and wondering, you know, well, oh, I love this. How can I work that into, you know, something that, that I would like to make, but, um, so many things inspire me, you know, like I've, I've been inspired by jazz for a long time. Music has, has always inspired me and the past few years. Visual art has, has inspired me. The artist, Mark Bradford, who I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Oh, I'm in the show notes. Yes. Uh, Mark Bradford, uh, and, and the way that, that he works completely changed my writing process, uh, in about 2019. And he remains somebody that, that I actively check for. Okay. So, uh, Mark Bradford earlier on in his career was, uh, would do these, these paintings, but he would not use paint. He would use end papers, which, uh, they're, you know, are used in, in hair, you know, hair salons. And he would use water and, and kind of, you know, build them up from there. And then he would, he would layer pieces of like just material, found material and everything. He would layer it and then he would strip it away. Like he would use like a pressure washer or, or just hard tools and he would pull it out and they could rebuild it and everything like that. And he would get these really beautiful and, and intricate and heavily textured, you know, artworks and seeing that and seeing his process. Cause I'm, I'm always enamored by people's process. Just seeing that it, it dawned on me. I was like, oh wait, everything is malleable. Every, every, you know, cause I've, you know, if, if you're, you're, you're writing, you're working with text, all text is malleable. And just having that, that 
pop into my head opened up so many doors because that meant that everything was fair game. So I'll take a poem that I've been working on for a while and I'll completely gut it. All of those words that are in it are now like a, a new word bank. And I'll pull them out and I'll just start working on, you know, just, just putting different words together, trying to make interesting things happen with, with no aspiration of like, this is, this is going to be the new poem or this is just making interesting things happen because we as humans are hardwired for, for connection and meaning. If, if I were to take, you know, a wine bottle and a rock and put them together and just leave them there. Invariably, somebody's going to walk across and be like, boy, I wonder why that wine bottle is next to that rock. What does that mean? So I'm just interested in getting interesting lines out. And then after a while, I started moving them around and seeing kind of how they interact with each other. And that for the past few years, you know, will lay the foundation for something. And then I'll kind of step into that space and keep tinkering and that'll end up being a poem. It's allowed me to work a lot more into surprise because I have no idea where the, the the work is going, you know, uh, my, my internal editor is not even allowed into the room at that point. It's all just about moving, moving words around and, and making interesting things happen. And it's just been such a freeing process. Yeah. That's so, such a playful way of approaching like revision or even just approaching generation. I love it. I think that's, I think that, yeah, that you're mentioning kind of the inner editor, inner critic. You know, not it's like there's no there's no space for that there. It's just play, and you're and that's what you're embracing. That's the process or that initial process. And later, the you know the inner editor can can come in and start to rearrange in his or her own way. But but that you know that that malleability, that idea of just kind of playing and you know gutting the words. I I love it. I think it's it's very inspiring. Sure, it's it's allowed me to you know. Different things happen when you operate on a instinct on brain off type of way. And I think that that, you know, going back to, I mentioned, you know, jazz being an inspiration, you know, that's kind of the way that jazz solos happen, right? Like, yeah, I'm not going to map this thing out. If you give me this space between this and this in the composition to, to get busy, then let me like my, my, in, my, in, you know, but then my instinct take over and just gotta see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. What's something you're working on now that you're really excited about? Oh, well, I'm not working on. Uh well the, the biggest thing that I'm working on, I guess, right now is just launching the book. Yeah. Um, we've been uh we've been pounding the pavement and, and doing really well with uh, with promotion and that's exciting. And we we are going to do the official launch uh a few days after the, the book comes out. So I'm really excited about that. But outside of that, I'm, um, I'm actively working on, on my next obsession and, and that feels really interesting and a little bit frustrating. You know, I'm reading a lot of different things. I'm researching different artists and, and art movements and, you know, just, just really trying to expand my palette and figure out what's, what's going to start coming through. I think that I have a full length manuscript that I'm, I'm sending out, trying to, to find a home for. And the things that, the few things that I have been, been writing or, and the last things that I've been writing are all kind of in conversation in different ways. And I think that they're, they're probably still kind of tethered to the full manuscript. And but I'm excited to see what happens once, you know, I shake the tree a little bit and see what else comes out and what else I find myself wanting to say. What's your new obsession? And you said. <laughs> I don't know. What? That's what I'm trying to try. I'm trying to find. I'm uh there's, there's an artist, yeah. Heather Phillipson, who says that, you know, she works more with, uh, with accumulation, you know, that, than not. And I think that, I think that I'm very much in that vein too. I like to accumulate different things and then, you know, something kind of, kind of pops out, but I, I think that I, I probably already have it. I'm just not seeing what it is yet. So Absolutely. I think that. I think that probably after uh, we we get the book out there, you know, I'll I'll lay the I'll lay the things out that that aren't a part of that manuscript and, and just kind of see what what themes are emerging and and you know go from there. But right now I'm, I'm just having fun being in in the workshop and you know just just bringing in different things and and looking at it and figuring it out. 
That's very exciting. I think there's in that space of unknown, there's so much possibility. So what, uh, what's one of your creative aspirations for the future? Just, and you know, small, big, personal, writing related or not. Yeah. Uh, I, I want my works to continue to improve the lives of, of my family and myself. I feel like as a result of the pandemic, the world has become uh, a much more accessible place in terms of possibility. You, you can have a podcast with, with someone on the other side of the world. You know, you, you can do a reading with someone in another time zone that you've never physically met. Um, you can collaborate on a project with somebody, you know, from a completely different, you know, time and space and, and all of those things. And technology always has its eye on the future. And uh, I think that as a result of that, that has that's created a number of, of new opportunities to explore. And uh, I'd like to do that. You know, I, I really want and hope that my creative work will allow me to kind of successfully navigate some new spaces and, and really help build my future. Cool. I love it. Where can we find you? So if people want to, I mean, you know, I'll put your website in the show notes and but kind of where, where do you sort of hang out or online or what's the best way to reach you if people want to find out about events around readings and your book launch? Sure. Well, my website is christianjcollier.com. I consider that my hub, but it also has my, my link tree at the very top of it. And, and that'll take people to all of my social media profiles and, and some other things. There's a, a Spotify playlist for the, the chat book. So you can, you can access all those things in one fell swoop there, but you can also find me on Twitter and you can find me on Instagram. Great. Well, thank you so much, Christian. It's been really eye-opening and inspiring to talk to you. And I'm so excited to just see how your work unfurls in the world and, you know, and meets people. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. This, is, this has been big fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Recovery. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or my coaching and workshop offerings, please visit brennacoaching.com or DM me on Instagram at brenna.ef. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. It helps grow this community and serve more people. Thanks for joining me on this creative journey of discovery and transformation.